This is Jason, and we're on one of my favorite series titles of all time. It's called Summer Camp Romance. Summer Camp Romance is this idea when you were a kid and you went away to camp and you fell in love for the week. And your emotions were so high and so intense and the love seemed so real till you went back home and forgot about it till next summer. And what we're doing during this series is looking at that's how people often live their relationship out with the Lord. And there's a better way. So let's take a look at what the Word of God says about how our relationship with God can transition from a summer camp romance to a real relationship. Let's get started. Week two of this series called Summer Camp Romance. Last week, we talked about a few things about summer camp romance. I'm going to catch us up to speed. Summer camp romance is this idea of a relationship where emotions are super high and they feel intense. And then when you leave summer camp and you go back to your life, it slowly fades away. And we talked a little bit more about that last week. If you were not here, go catch that message because these two kind of go together as part one and part two. And what we talked about last week is how do we avoid this in our relationship with God? Because every one of us in this room has had a time in our lives where we felt closer to God than others. It's a common denominator we all have. You may think you're the only one, but you're not. And what happens is there are seasons of our life, days, weeks, hours, where God feels so close. And you have this desire, this hunger to read the word, to pray, and then life gets in the way. It doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you a pretty normal person. But that's not how God designed it. And what if I told you that there's a, a better way in which we can have this presence of God in our lives constantly? And it's not just mountaintops or valleys. It's not just ebb and flow, but it's constant. And that's what we're looking at. So last week we talked about uh, one way to avoid a summer camp romance relationship with God is to be willing to do the difficult things, to take the difficult path to do the hard things, not just the path of least resistance. And most people that have this summer camp romance relationship with God, they don't do the difficult things. They take the easy path. I will add God to my life rather than I will give God my life. This week we're going to talk about something a little bit different, but it goes along the same theme. I want to take you back in time a couple of years ago where I went on a trip to a place called the happiest place on earth. I put that in quotations because that's not my experience. My experience at the happiest place on earth was the most frustrating place on earth, the most crowded place on earth, the most expensive place on earth. And the place on earth that really, like, my wife and I fought more that week than we ever have. Happiest place on earth. I bought a chicken tender basket. $28. That's $7 a chicken strip. It wasn't even good. I'm talking about Disneyland or Disney World. I paid the most I ever have for a hotel. For what I paid for this hotel, it better be nice. It better include breakfast. I want one of those jacuzzi tubs in the shape of a heart right in the middle of it. I want every channel on a giant TV. 
It's not what I got. I got a bed in the shape of a seashell. I brush my teeth looking at this ceramic statue of flounder. Happiest place on earth. All the way down the hallways were speakers that were playing music. From 7 a.m. It's a quiet time, 7 p.m. And if there's no noise in your hotel, you can hear it on a loop. I want to be where the people are. I want to see, want to see them dancing. I'm going to throw up in my mouth if I hear this song one more time. Like over and over and over again. And here's the worst part of it all, y'all. <laughs> I fell asleep every night right next to my bed with this giant picture of Prince Eric smiling at me. <laughs> Most expensive hotel of my life. And I fell asleep staring into the eyes of Prince Eric. That's a weird sound bite. It's a weird thing to say. Why did I do that? Because I would do it again. Because I knew beforehand that it wasn't about me. I knew beforehand that it was going to be costly, that it was going to be irritating, but I did it because I love my daughters. Disneyland is crazy, man. I saw this guy, this big old CrossFit guy, big old guy. Like, you think I'm big. This guy was big. That's hurtful. He's wearing this pink shirt that says Disney Dad, and he's got mouse ears. And I'm like, I'm more of a man than this guy is. Why would he do that? It wasn't about him. Now, what if you and I went into our lives following Jesus with the same idea that the dads go to Disney where we say, it's not about me because I love my kids. I'll be willing to be inconvenienced because it's not about me, but that's not how we treat church. We treat it with a consumer mentality. And if we're real honest with ourselves, every one of us, sometimes we view our relationship with God that way. As a consumer mentality, what can God do for me rather than how can I serve you, Lord? It's a difference. But this is what's convenient in my schedule versus coming to somebody and saying, hey, put your foot right here. Let me help you out. What do you need from me, Lord? This is how you avoid a summer camp romance. It's not about you. Understand that it's not about you. Because what if we have settled for the fool's gold version of what love really is? Now, I saw on social media, I'm old, so I saw it on Facebook, which means it probably was already on Instagram, which means it was probably already on TikTok. But I saw it on Facebook, this picture that this girl took in the parking lot of a Sonic and she just said, I want this in life. And I'm going to show you this picture. It went viral. I'm going to probably include this picture in all of my premarital counseling sessions with people from here on out. Because when they come in and I say, why do you want to get married? And they say, because we're in love. This is love. Love is after years of being with you, I'm still going to do what's best for you because it's not about me. See, most people go into love with this idea that I'm going to get something out of it. It's going to make me feel better. It's going to make me happy. 
It's going to make me wealthy. It's going to make me check all of these boxes I had for my life. And then when I don't feel those emotions anymore or I can't get anything good out of it, I can just leave and go to the next one and the next one and the next one. And we do that sometimes with God. What can God do for me? And then when God doesn't answer our prayers the way we think he should or the timeline that we think he should, we withdraw. Because God doesn't care about me. He's not listening. And we wonder why we settle for a summer camp romance. So last week we told the first half of the story of a prophet named Hosea. And Hosea is a prophet in the Old Testament. And the way God used prophets back then is he would speak to a prophet, give them a message, and the prophet would share it to the people. So people knew who the prophets were. In fact, during the lifetime of Hosea, there was most likely two other prophets going on at the same time, given timelines. And, and, and people would know who Hosea was. And God's going to ask Hosea to do something difficult. But... Since it's Super Bowl Sunday, I was trying to think to myself, what is something that, we, that I could give people that would really give them an understanding of the role of the prophet? And since it's Super Bowl Sunday, I have a Super Bowl story for you. A few years ago, there was a, what people called an epic halftime show at one of the Super Bowls. All right, so if I told you, like, what were some of your favorite Super Bowl halftime, you know, all, you know and, and, and this one was pretty epic. Like, it's, it's up there. I'm not endorsing the artist formerly known but then known once again as Prince. But look at this picture. And so what made this, like, pretty incredible, I read this story that right as Prince was going to go on, it started pouring rain. Not purple rain. <laughs> 9 a.m. didn't even get that joke. That was, that was on the fly. Like, I'm kind of proud of myself. But, but it started pouring rain. And, and they got to hurry up and, and, and set the stage up at halftime. Like, time's ticking, right? So they got to hurry up and get this thing set up. And, and as they're moving the stage, a piece of the metal of the corner of the stage severed the main power strip, the main power line that was going to send all of the sound out to the entire stadium. The world is watching. And this thing gets severed in the rain. And then there's this intern. And he's been waiting for a chance to impress people. And, and he does something that is really, there's a fine line between being heroic and being really stupid. And he was kind of straddling that line. Because when he sees this cord get severed, he runs up to it and he grabs it. And he twists it so that the rubber is now covering everything in the pouring rain. Imagine how much electricity is flowing through this. And for the 17-minute performance, he just holds it. And no one knows his name. Risk-reward? But here's what I was thinking. One, I've just been waiting for a chance to tell that story because <laughs> I have a flair for the dramatic. But also, this is the role of the prophets of the Old Testament. So when you read about the prophets, think about this story, really, is, is you have God and then the man or woman is the conduit holding on to that as the word gets out to all of the people. And that's the role of the prophet. It's an important role. And again, everybody would have known who the prophets were at that time. And here is what is important about Hosea, is that God asks Hosea to do something very difficult. He says that your life is going to be a living object lesson. And what I'm going to do with your life is going to be a message that everybody's going to know because I'm going to ask you to marry a prostitute. 
I'm going to ask you to marry a woman who will cheat on you, who will leave you, who will not appreciate you, and you're going to constantly have to pursue her. But by you doing that, it's going to show the Israelites, my people, that they are constantly leaving me and cheating on me and pursuing the things that bring them temporary pleasure, yet I will pursue them and love them and put a ring on their finger. It's a difficult thing. So last week we talked about Hosea and their three children and the names that God gave them. This week we're going to talk about the second half of that, of Hosea being left by his wife, who is named Gomer. Hosea 3, verse 1. This is Hosea speaking. Then the Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again. I I want you to underline these two things, or if you're a note taker, we're going to come back to this. It's the three words, show your love, and then the word wife. It's going to be incredibly important. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. That's a tough, tough thing to read right there. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Now, I just want to talk for just a second. I know I'm a preacher, but like C+. When I see raisin cakes, like my mind just goes right to it. I start thinking, what are raisin cakes? They sound pretty good. Why can't she have them? So I'm just going to address it. Uh, I don't know what raisin cakes are. They sound pretty good, but culturally they would have known exactly what it was. It was tied into pagan rituals. It was part of the experience of worshiping other gods that were definitely not Yahweh. So now that we have that addressed, let's go back to the part that's important. He says, go show your love to your wife. That phrase right there is important because some of you may have grown up in some dysfunctional house, uh, dysfunctional house. Or you may have a dysfunctional relationship with your parents. And if you did, or if you do, you know more than anybody that if they just tell you they love you, but their actions show the opposite, it means nothing. And and how we can take that and apply it to our own lives is, is that it's not what you say, it's how you live. Last week we talked about two weeks ago, actually, that the Lord's love language is obedience. So if you declare with your mouth that you love the Lord, but there's no actions and your family sees it, your kids see it, your grandkids see it, your coworkers see it, what basically happens is is you become either a liar or a hypocrite, and it's better to not even tell anybody. Because you know the number one reason people don't go to church? A bunch of hypocrites. So I love that phrase, show your love to your wife. But then that other word, wife, is incredibly important here because we have to understand the context. Is when there was a a, a woman who then became a widow, she lost the title of wife. We see sometimes in Scripture, Jesus refers to his mom as woman. And on the surface, it sounds kind of disrespectful, but that lets us know that Joseph, his, his, his earthly father, is deceased. And so now she's a widow. She's no longer a wife. You refer to her culturally as a woman. And it's the same way in adultery. If a woman engaged in adultery, sexual immorality outside of marriage, she is disqualified and forfeited the title of wife. That's not what God does there. He says, go show your love to your wife. Some of our actions on the surface 
have disqualified and forfeited our rights to be called children of God. But that's not what Jesus paid for on the cross. Because of what he did, he calls us sons and daughters. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. So he's got to go look for Gomer. He doesn't know where she is. He doesn't have that Life 360 on her like some of you creepy spouses do. Somehow my, my youngest daughter can track my phone now. I don't know how because I'm old, but, but my wife sends me a text a couple of weeks ago, and she's like, why are you at CVS Pharmacy? And I'm like, she goes, oh, I see you're going to Target. You better not be down there in the vinyl record section. And I'm like, wild. So he doesn't have that. So he doesn't know where his wife is. So he's got to ask. And don't you think for a second that when he's asking the town where his wife is, they're not going to immediately connect the dots of, oh, she left him again. Oh, she's out sleeping around again. And he would have to go to the spots where somebody in that lifestyle would be. So it's not like he went to the classy joints to ask where his promiscuous wife is. He'd be going down to the skeezy dive bar. Or he'd have to be going down to the areas of town where people engage in this type of behavior. And he would say, have you seen my wife Gomer? Have you seen my wife Gomer? And people would know. They would talk. They would connect the dots. And what it was is it was living as a living object lesson of how they are unfaithful to their God. He finds her. Where does he find her? He finds her at the slave market. She is now being sold, no doubt, prehistoric sex trafficking. I saw a painting of this. It's not the greatest painting in the world, but I really think it encapsulated just kind of this picture of what's happening here. And, and Hosea finds Gomer at this slave market. Now, I wonder what this looks like for Hosea. Because Hosea is having to pay to get his wife back. The grace, the forgiveness, the understanding. I wonder what is going through his mind. I don't need to ask what's going through Gomer's mind. You want to know why? Because I've been there. And so have you. Gomer's sitting there saying, my actions, my sin, what I've done got me in a spot that I deserve. And here I am now, and I'm going to take this punishment because I deserve it. I know what's going through her mind. It's called guilt and shame and condemnation and feeling as if her value is zero. And she says, I got nobody to blame but myself. I know how that feels. And so do some of you. And how would it feel when she sees her husband come up on the horizon to her? And he says, I'm here to love you because you're my wife. Because God told me to. Such grace. Verse 2. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Fifteen shekels would be about the going rate of a female slave at that time. A homer is like a measurement of weight. 
and then a lethic is about 430 pounds. So I think I would really miss a great opportunity for a dad joke if I didn't say how many homers for Gomer. You guys thought that was a lot funnier in my head when I was about to tell it. He buys her back. And listen to what he says to her. Now, what would you say if she was your wife? You know, it might be the same thing as one time I lost my kid in Walmart. And I was scared to death, like, looking for her. And like, where is she? Where is she? Where is she? I love her. She's the love of my life. This is everything. And as soon as I find her, my relief turned to anger. Why would you do that? <laughs> You're supposed to stay with me. Or, or, or maybe you and I would have condemnation. Hey, I'm going to do this, but you owe me one. Hey, I'm going to do this, but I want you to remember. But we don't serve a man. We serve a God who will pursue the most broken of people. Then I told her, Hosea speaking to Gomer, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any other man, and I will behave the same way towards you. This is kind of the idea of he's a jealous God in a good way. He wants you to praise him. This term, redeemed, we throw around a lot in church, church world. You see it throughout Scripture, but it, its history comes from the slave market. And to redeem literally means to buy back. This is huge. Add this to your understanding of Scripture. To buy back. This is you and I. God created us, gave us free will, we made ourselves slaves to sin that deserves condemnation and hell. And then God sent Jesus to die on the cross to buy back what he created. That's the gospel. And that's why you and I can't walk around as if we're better than people. Because we were all bought back from what we deserved. So I don't understand when people walk around in church as if they're better. Like, bro, you were bought back. This is what Paul's talking about to the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians 6.20. He says, for God bought you with a high price. And he says, so you must honor God with your body. Because it was a culture that was completely obsessed with sexuality and promiscuity and things that are adulterous and outside of what God's plan is for marriage. And Paul goes to them within the church and he says, you were bought with a high, high price, so you got to honor God. Salvation is free for you, but it costs God everything. And if you accept that, then we should live different. We should act different. We should think different. We should forgive different. We should give grace different. We should love different. Why? John, the beloved disciple, wrote a letter after his gospel, 1 John 4, 19, and he says, we love because he first loved us. How do we avoid summer camp romance? I think we understand what love really is. I think we have to have a clear understanding of how God views us. 
of how his relationship with us works. So we've all been programmed with this idea that we are rewarded with good behavior and punished with bad behavior. We're all programmed. You ever had a job and the boss said, hey, I need to see you in my office? <laughs> That's the first thing that goes through your mind. I'm about to get fired on my day off. No, you're about to get fired. If you laughed at that, you need to be at the altar call. But think about this for just a second. We're programmed that way. That's the way the world works, and that's the way that, we're, that we think relationships work. I, I, as long as I'm good to you, you're going to show me love, but if I do something to make you mad, are you going to leave me? Are you going to... And, and, and then we take that and we push that up on God, and we think that if bad things happen to me, it's either because God doesn't exist, He doesn't love me, or I'm being punished for something, and that's not how God works. That if some of you have a very complicated relationship with your earthly father, it is very natural to have the tendency to take that and push that on a relationship with God. It's perfectly natural, but it's terrible theology. There was a pastor in the early 1800s in Boston, a Methodist preacher nonetheless, named A.J. Gordon. I'm going to imagine the people of the church called him Brother A.J. or Brother Gordon. And Brother Gordon, on a Saturday afternoon, was walking down the streets of Boston, those cobblestone streets, and, and, and he's walking down the street, and he sees a boy with a birdcage. And, and, and he sees this boy with this birdcage, and there's two birds in it. And they're just kind of laying there. And he's, he's picking up pebbles, and he's throwing them at the birds. And Brother A.J. Gordon says, what, what, are you, what are you doing? And he says, I found this birdcage. I opened it up. I threw a couple crumbs in there, and these stupid birds flew right in. And they don't even sing. And he says, well, what are you going to do with that? So I'm going to take it home and feed them to my cat. Now you PETA people relax for a second. My brother AJ says, I'm going to give you 15 cents for that. Would you sell it? And he's like, I found the cage. Like, why would you want to buy it from me? I said, no, no. It's for its contents. So he gives the boy 15 cents. The boy's like, I cannot believe you paid 15 cents. These birds don't even sing. Brother AJ takes his birdcage home. He comes to church the next Sunday morning, next day. And he sets that cage on the pulpit with the bird still in it. And he proceeds to tell them this story. So the birds chased something. When God gives them everything they need, but they saw something, and they ignored the danger of it, and they went after it, and consequently, they got themselves trapped, facing imminent death that they deserved. But I bought them. They had freedom. They enslaved themselves. Then I bought them. And then he proceeds to open the cage. Clearly, he was at one service because this would be hard to recreate for service number two. And he opens this cage up. And 
these birds fly out immediately. And right on cue, as they're flying out of the church, they start singing. And he looks at the congregation and he says, this is you and I. And because these birds have been bought, they have been redeemed. And as they fly away, they sing for the world to hear, redeemed, redeemed, redeemed. You and I have experienced forgiveness. We have experienced freedom and forgiveness. And we should flee out of this building this afternoon, singing for all to hear, redeemed, redeemed, redeemed. For you were bought with a price. The interesting part of that is, is God paid a lot for us to have forgiveness, but the flip side of that is, God thinks that we're worth it. The sneaky little thing in theology called foreknowledge, which basically means God knows the end from the beginning. So whatever state your life's in right now, or it's going to be one day, he already knew. Yet he said, I will call them by name. He doesn't regret sending Jesus to die on the cross for you, so don't let yourself think that. Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed. I want to end our time today by looking at the very last chapter of Hosea, chapter 14, because it ends with an amazing blessing and promise from God. Last week, I referenced this book. We sold out of it. Uh, we bought a few more copies. We break even on it, so you can buy this anywhere that books are sold. Um, and it's actually, I have this copy up here that I've been spitting on the whole time I'm preaching. So if you want one with the holy water on it, <laughs> that's a joke. Uh, it's called Redeeming Love. Now you know what redeemed means. It means to be bought back uh, by Francine Rivers. An amazing book. If you want to read a book that's going to change the way that you think, that change the way that God views you in your mind, this is the book. So pick it up if you want it. But I want to end it with this promise. Verse 14. Chapter 14, verse 1. Excuse me. Here it is. Return Israel to the Lord your God. Take Israel out and put your name in it. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. If you go back and look in your Bible, the subheading to it says repentance to bring blessing. Some of you act as if it says perfection brings blessing. Does not. Repentance. But what do I do if I repent? Ask God to forgive me, recognize that it's sin, and turn from it, and I do it again tomorrow. Repent tomorrow. What about the next day? Repent the next day. Why? to recognize that we need a Savior and that you and I were never expected to be able to be perfect. That's why Jesus came. Well, you could be perfect. He doesn't need to be here. But if you minimize forgiveness, you minimize the cross. Here we go. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. What he's saying is the army of a country will not save us. 
We will not mount war horses. He's saying we will not take this into our own hands and try to fight our own battles. We will just yield and trust you, God. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. Some of you have been very successful in your life, but you built it, and that will not save you. We will never again say our gods to what we have made with our own hands, for you in the fatherless find compassion. I will heal their waywardness. This is God now speaking back to Hosea. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. Listen to this. For my anger has turned away from them. Repentance brings blessing. So what I want us to do during our time for the rest of the day and for the rest of the week and for the rest of your life is to live like redeemed people who were bought back. And because God paid a high price for us, we are under obligation to tell everybody else they can be redeemed. And that nobody is too broke that God won't pursue them and fix them and redeem them. Do you believe it? Then as we leave today, let us sing, redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb.